Welcome to Apply the Word, a podcast of Redeemer Church. Today, I, your host, Joey Phillips, will be talking about my own message from yesterday, April 7th, on Ephesians 2 and Galatians 3. It was uh, Unity in Diversity Part 3, with a focus on the um, ethnic divisions that Paul is addressing in those passages. It made for... uh, very interesting message. Yes, it did. Very hopefully, good. Hopefully an interesting podcast. So let's go. All right. Well, welcome back to Apply the Word. I am uh, I'm joined by our pastor, Benny Phillips, my father. We're going to be discussing my message um, from yesterday about um, Paul addressing the Ephesians in regards to the Jew-Gentile distinction, our unity in Christ that tears down the wall of hostility. Um, and then I also brought in Galatians 3. Uh, because it was very relevant, and then at one point I also brought in Revelation 7. We called it basically an excursus. We had gone through Ephesians 2. If you've been paying attention, we've already done that, but it was sort of going back and addressing specifically um, the sort of ethnic right. aspect yeah, he of had, it. He had, when he gets to dealing with unity and diversity in chapter 3, he really is, the diversity has um, primarily to do with uh, their gifts, expression of their gifts, right. and uh, the whole how the body is one, you know, working together. But he had addressed that issue, um, specifically the Jew-Gentile issue in chapter 2. So it just made sense to then take a break, go back, and make application, particularly in our society in this day and age, about the issue of... Um, Unity and diversity, since diversity is moving in the wrong direction these days, and um, wanting to really address that, and you did an outstanding job. So, and we'll get into that after. I'll give a little summary of the message for those of you who didn't hear, um, and then Dad will talk about a little more about why he felt it was important to do this. But so it's from um, Ephesians 2. Basically, what I did was I set up. Uh, the message is a three-part message where in the first part, um, it was just called What's Going On, and where I sort of set the stage of um, the importance of the topic based on uh, what's going on in America today. And understanding what's going on in the American church today requires, you know, going over a little history. Um, and so I did. I went over a little bit of the the history of um white Christian America's failures as it relates to issues of uh, racism, uh, which led to where we are today. Um, And then, so what's going on? Well, it's bad. That was the first part, and it's always been bad. And then the second part of answering that question was it's actually getting worse from, at least from 2012 until now. Um, Multiple studies are showing that from, from 1998 to 2012 showed gains um, as it related to white evangelical Christians reporting worshiping with people of right. color. And then from 2012 until now, it, there's been losses. So what happened in 2012? 
I talked about that. I talked about what happened in 2012 was now everyone has smartphones and Facebook. And uh, there was an incident right here in Florida that captured the nation's attention uh, for weeks on end um, that involved a young black man being uh, killed in confrontation with a neighbor based on an interaction that was triggered by the neighbor thinking that he was suspicious. Um, he famously was wearing a hoodie. Trayvon Martin um, really did start, right. I think, this this thing that happened where, and then it was obviously in the 2014, uh, Ferguson and Eric Garner and all the others, and black evangelicals were expecting when, you know, now all these videos are out of these confrontations with police and and they were expecting solidarity they were expecting right. lament with them on these issues and instead what they got was defensiveness was uh, actually this you know mass incarceration and over policing and systemic racism these it's these either are not issues they're issues in the past or when acknowledged they're acknowledged in theory, but not in any particular case. Right, right. And so in their laments, they didn't find um, the sort of empathy and care. And instead, they found some racism that, that has been described by many of them as being eye-opening. Um, because there was this thought that we were making gains that uh, turned out to be very superficial. Yeah. So, and then... If, I'm taking too long to do this summary. Went from there to... So that was answering the question, what's going on? Well, that's what's going on. That's why we are more segregated in church today than we have been in the past 20 years. Um, so what does Scripture say about this? And that's when I went through Ephesians 2 and Galatians 3, Revelation 7, to just show that the unity, the blood-bought unity that we have in Christ uh, should make us a diverse people because the wall of hostility is gone. There's nothing separating us anymore. Right. And in America, a diverse country, that diversity should be reflected in our churches. And if it's not, then it's because there's something wrong, um, that there's some sort of wall that's still there. And so we talked about that. And then I wrapped up with some, so what do we do about it? Some application for Redeemer Church in particular, because we're a small, little, mostly white church. Um, and it can feel like, well, these are broad cultural issues. Is there anything that we can do? Is there anything for us to apply with this other than to be sad that it's a problem? And I think that there are. And so we talked about that. Yeah, I would encourage you to um, get the Redeemer app off of either our Facebook page or our website. And uh, that's where you can find our messages and listen to the whole message because it was outstanding and it really does highlight a um, very, very important issue. And I think, Joe, you did a great job uh, making it a biblical one and, and staying away from um, <clears throat> the, I mean, you ha obviously you had to talk about the political client uh, climate <laughs> um, because it, it just, it, it obviously plays into uh, the challenges that we face, but really laying... And because of the way that things developed in our history, they're right. intertwined, That's and right. so you can't right. act like they're not right. intertwined. You can't act like, you know, these the issue of the church being segregated is intertwined with politics, right? and it has to be acknowledged. And and the, the fact that gains are being lost, you know, the gains that we had are being lost. I mean, it, 
when we were in D.C. in the uh, mid-90s and, and I was doing some of the racial reconciliation stuff and working with Brett Fuller and we were doing things that, that uh, really were working, right. you know, and, and we were seeing more diversity uh, in the church. We were, and, and it wasn't just um, different shades of color coming. To, right. I mean, there really was work being done uh, that 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 was significant, and then you know when we got to Florida at first, I thought it was just a southern issue, but it really it was this whole season that we began to realize that well, no, wait a minute, there's something broader going on here, and uh, talk a little bit more about that in terms of the specifically how did those issues that you talked about um, um, kind of burst the bubble, if you will, of, of what was really going on. So I think, again, the way I said it was there's not one answer to that, but there is a specific answer that is uh, at least prominent. And I think it has to do... So we know that Trayvon Martin and the, in, the other instances that followed that captured national attention created division. Right. Like we know that. And we also know that our politics have gotten more polarized in recent years. So you had in 2012 Trayvon Martin, you, then you had all this stuff in 2014, and this is creating division. And then in 2016, you had white evangelicals, large swaths of them, um, elected the guy who was one of the main propagators of the racist conspiracy theory that Barack Obama was born in Kenya. So you had a lot of um, Christians who were celebrating the election of Barack Obama in 2008 because he's a black man as president in America. It was incredible. Um, and particularly for black Christians, that had there was an amazing right. moment that then eight years later, he's being replaced by this guy. Yeah. And... and you know, all the other stuff that comes with our president, not just the fact that he propagated that racist theory. He's done other things to deliberately antagonize, antagonize people of color. And he was elected, whether you believe it's 81% or whatever you believe, self-identifying evangelicals in uh, large majorities voted for this guy. Right. And that has been sort of the straw that broke the camel's back well, for and, a lot of and, people. And evangelical leaders who... Uh, would never have uh, voted for a candidate and supported a candidate with the kind of morally bankrupt character that, right. that our president has. What what is it about um, whites that they're they're not recognizing the identity politics that's going on with them? I mean, they're really it's really easy to see. When you know the liberals are using identity politics, why are white evangelical conservatives having problems seeing that? Because they don't, they don't see whiteness as a thing a lot of the time. I think that white evangelicals probably balk at the idea that they're participating in this construct, you know, because it's a lot of the talk, and this is part of the part of the thing that happened. And I talked about why were we even open to this kind of regression? Right, like right. as this stuff came along, what what was the rot? What was wrong that allowed this regression to happen? And it was that the the gains that had been made 
uh, didn't address um, white evangelicals assuming that their culture uh, wasn't white, it was biblical. Right. So black evangelicals were having to assimilate to whiteness, and white evangelicals wouldn't have saw it, wouldn't have seen it that way. They would have just seen it as join us in the biblical way we do things, and they don't think in terms of, well, actually, this issue may just be a preference issue. The way right, that we worship right. may not be just straight from the Bible. It may be our preference and the way that we've done things all the time, and it's different than the way that this culture did, but no, you need to assimilate into the way that we do things, and that's where the unity is going to come from. Then the unity is not based on the blood-bought you know, union in Christ. It's based on a preference. So do you think that black evangelicals would would think that, uh, or would white evangelicals even admit that a lot of the, quote, progress that was made uh, in, the, in the 90s and the early 2000s was, a lot of it was um, assimilation versus genuine diversity happening? I don't think a lot of white evangelicals would would see that. I think that's part of the problem. This, these issues are fraught, and even going into preaching the message, I knew it, that it's fraught, and it's because there's a lot of reasons why. Obviously, right, right. But acknowledging that type of thing is very difficult because one, that some people just don't see it, but two, everybody's got this urge to get past it. Like, yeah. can we? Right. Aren't we supposed to all agree that we should be colorblind? Like, why are we still talking about white identity and black identity? We're all one in Christ. Why are we talking about this? That You run up against that a lot, um, which has got to be frustrating for black evangelicals because they, yeah, for white evangelicals to say, can we just get past it when they don't even acknowledge their participation in white identity right. is... Well, isn't isn't even White's thinking or phrasing or framing the question of I thought we were all supposed to be colorblind? I mean, isn't I mean, isn't isn't even that thought process fraught? Yes. With, I mean, colorblind's not the point. Right. Exactly. Because that's not true diversity. Obviously. Right. Right. When we okay. get down to what actual diversity is, it doesn't mean erasing all distinction. It doesn't mean assimilating to a to one culture that we like um the gospel is more powerful than that right we don't need to all assimilate into one thing that's right. not the idea um but it's again it's a tough thing because we do so on the one hand you're telling folks um race is a construct which it is it is a construct and so whiteness isn't really a thing Right. Whiteness is malleable. It's defined right. the way that you decide to define it. And throughout history, it's been malleable. It adapts. The point of it is to maintain a power structure. And so it's not, again, it's not a real thing in one sense. Right. So you say that and people say, well, good. <laughs> then why are we talking about it? Yeah, right. Well, we're talking about it because it's been made a thing. Right. And you could be unknowingly or knowingly participating in that thing. The fact that so many evangelicals voted, in my opinion, for Donald Trump shows that they are participating in it, whether they understand it or not. Right. Because, again, the same folks a lot of the time who were saying that our leaders need to be these great uh, moral examples right, and that right. 
if they are morally bankrupt, we should kick them out, blah, 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 blah. There's, there, okay, now you're voting for this guy. Why? Well, you're idolizing politics, right? Um, for one thing. But also, you, you're apparently not seeing that you are participating in white identity politics. There, there is a disconnect right. for folks on this issue. And, and that's that, why this right. message... I believe is important because, because they're thinking that they're voting for principle. Okay, well he's pro-life. He's you know which the, he's not. Which he's not. Uh, he's whatever. Yeah, is going to get him elected. <laughs> and well, that's politics. Well, yeah, that yes, you're right. That's right. politics. And supposedly we weren't playing politics. Right. And that's the problem. And now we are. And, and why and, are and we, we now? have been? And right. that and not admitting that is just very. It's. It, I mean, I think as political as I've been over the years in terms of my act, my activity, it's, and I need to be careful for self-righteousness. I mean, I've always tried to make sure that it was born from biblical principle in my own life. And what was so disappointing about the 16 election and what's been so difficult about getting back in is <laughs> finding a place Right. To, to really say, well, I can get behind this. Right. Because I can't get behind, you know, a lot. You cannot be behind the party yeah. of Donald Trump. Yeah. And also, right. when you, oh, right. but then on the other side, you can't get behind a party that says you can, you know, infanticide is maybe not all that big a deal. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so we both sides are kind of going these directions. Right. And it does leave Christians in a difficult position. But one thing we know is that if you if you identify yourself with the party of Donald Trump, you are um, you are setting yourself up as a church, as a corporate body. If you come out publicly in in this arena in favor, you are setting yourself up to be an unwelcome environment for people of color. Right, right. and that that is we'll get into the specific applications. Yeah. When we come uh, back, I'll do. Segment. Yeah, when we come back, I do want you to go to that Revelation passage and talk a little bit about uh, what you, you know, how you made application from that for us. Because I think, I think seeing what the real goal is, you know, is in terms of of our worship together and and why diversity is important. I think we all get why unity is important, although. Probably should be restated just to make sure <laughs> that why is diversity important? I think that's a, a, something that again white evangelicals don't really understand the point of. So, all right, we'll be back in a second. Hi, I'm Cherie, and you probably know that April is Autism Awareness Month. What you may not know is that one out of 59 kids are being diagnosed with this disorder, kids that are in your neighborhood or your church or even in your family. In fact, I have two amazing grandsons, Silas and Gideon, who have autism. They are such a joy to me, but their lives are challenging and their parents deal with the daily exhaustion and uncertainty and struggles of parenting special needs children. So this is what we're going to do. On Monday, April 22nd, I'm actually going to be talking to my daughter Janelle here on our podcast. We're going to be talking about what her and the boys' lives are like, and I would love for you to join us for what will be an informative and honestly a possibly emotional podcast. 
feel free to invite that neighbor or family member or friend to join us too, because they can use all the support that you can offer them. All right, so in the message, I said that unity was the foundation and that diversity was necessary. Now, diversity isn't the foundation. We are not saved by anything that is particular to us. Right. Uh, We are saved by our Savior, and his righteousness uh, covers our sin. That's where our unity comes from. It comes through Christ, and that is the foundation, uh, not diversity. However, Diversity has always been part of the plan. Uh, And we know this because God didn't just save Israel. Right. His plan was to save people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And so I went to Revelation 7. I'm just going to read it. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, which, again, clothed in white robes, they're all dressed the same because their unity comes from Christ, right. those white robes. Um, but they're from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God has always been interested in diversity. It's the way he designed things. And there are... There are cultures that are, you know, monocultural. You can't find much diversity in a geographic region. Um, so those churches, I don't think it's incumbent upon them to reflect the diversity in the same way that right. the American church should. But there would still be the diversity of their gifts. Right. Would still All the other diversities right. that Paul right. talks about. But right. in per- this particular demonstration of it, um, there's going to be something unique to heaven in that way. Right. But in a you know, geographic region, the entirety of the United States for the most part, where there is diversity represented, to not find it in the churches indicates that something's wrong. Yes. It, we've be, there's still walls that uh, shouldn't be there. And reflecting diversity doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean, a sim- like, let's all figure out the one culture that we like the most and, and do that. Um, there can be true diversity within churches. That's going to take work. Um, and because it's going to mean dealing with the innate preferences that you're a lot of times unaware of. Right. Right. And other areas of American life have, have grown in this area and Mm -hmm. you can find diversity in ways that you can't find it in the American church, which is sad. Right. So that's, again, this is why we talked about what, what happened. How did we get here? Um, but that diversity should be something that we're after. And so as even, um, as Redeemer Church, we I got into sort of what can we do to make sure that we are not uh, putting up unnecessary obstacles to people of color to enter in. Um, and I had five. We don't need to go over all five of them. But um, the key is imitating Christ. I mean, that's the first one. He had a view of power and authority that just doesn't leave any room for racism. It doesn't right. leave room for this... Um, 
malleable construct we've created to maintain power, that it's just erased when you imitate Christ. If your view is what he taught in Matthew 20, of if you would you like to be great? Well, then become the servant of all. Um, if we actually live that out, right. there's not going to be any room for racism. Well, and it doesn't mean shifting the power from the dominant race of a culture to, you know, the minority. Right. Which, the, yeah, the line I used was you don't, you know, solve the problem by flipping the script. Right. You solve it by burning the script. Right. And then I quoted Dr. King in his uh, letter from Paul to the American church yeah, where powerful. he powerfully powerful. describes um, that idea. Of, right. No, it, this isn't about bringing somebody else low. Right. It It, it isn't about... Um, humiliating the person who has wronged you. Right. It's about loving that person. Yeah. And showing uh, white Americans that they have been hurt by their sin. Right. As well. And it's just to say that, you know, it's one thing to biblically understand that. It's another thing for somebody who's been on the receiving end right. of the injustice well, and, to and, communicate and that. And reading that quote, it was, it was, there was a fascinating moment for me personally because. Whenever I am in situations where a lot of times in a where I'm, you know, go to a classroom or whatever to talk about, you know, what it was like growing up in the Jim Crow South, and I'm and I'm trying to make the point that uh, most of you don't understand how this works in your own heart, and so I kind of focus on the letter from the Birmingham jail so that they right. see what the real issues are. But there was a moment there where I realized, man, what's really even more effective is not seeing just the the wisdom and the logic and the power of his argument about why he was being as active as he was, but you see his heart in not wanting to flip the script. Right. He, you know, he's wanting to burn it. Right. You know, and that was, and I thought, man, that that's a, a way to get to the heart. Right. Is to see that, that he's not, you know. Not that, after vengeance. He's not he's after, after vengeance. A reckoning. Yeah. A justice. Yeah. Right. Right. And and there's a difference there. Yeah, and, that's right. And it's very, when you, again, I recommend everybody read the letter from Paul to the American churches. It's, it's Incredible and, and powerful. So that was one of them. Imitate Christ, um, which is always the answer. So right, that's right. <laughs> yep. It was the answer there, too. Um, and then don't elevate your preferences to beyond what they should be. They should be preferences, and you should be open to other people's preferences. If, as a church, we don't elevate our preferences to the level of them being these biblical uh, you know, commands, other people who enter in will be able to share their preferences and not meet resistance. And it should allow for an environment where everybody feels feels welcome. I think a lot of times what happens is preferences get elevated beyond what they should be. Right, and right. This is basically a more specific application of imitate Christ. Um, we should have an attitude, a servant's heart, when it comes to these things. And, and we shouldn't be elevating our, our preferences beyond what they should be. Because a lot of times our preferences are culturally informed. Right. And we don't realize it. Yeah. And yeah. so... And we, then we hold too tightly, and uh, people of color come in, and they see white preferences that aren't even being recognized as white preferences being elevated, and of course then they don't feel welcome. Um, another one was no favoritism. That one's obvious. Um, yeah, how, do you, how, how, how can white evangelicals, when um, 
someone of color attempts to um, identify a preference or identify a um, perspective of the, you know the whole argument even of white privilege how how does someone who who really is trying to uh, not flip the script they really are trying to work toward diversity bring up the whole white privilege or or any or any aspect of um, kind of the the <clears throat> latent racism that's there that people don't recognize how, how can how can whites um, posture themselves to really hear what they're saying? First of all, I love the way that you say whites. That's my favorite part of this whole conversation. And I'm going to start saying that as much as possible. So I think what whites can do is... Um, no, I think it, it does come from... Uh, you have to value diversity. It has to be something that you care about. If you don't care about it, your heart's not going to be in the place where it's right. going to say, okay, I can lay down my preference um, if this is going to help others. So there's that aspect of it. And then, again, the imitating Christ thing. If, we, if what we care about is serving others and being a church that reflects the unity that has been purchased for us, then when non-essential issues come up, there should be great flexibility. Right. And again, there's this part of the resistance that's there is, well, we shouldn't even be talking in terms of, you know, white privilege and like, let's move past this. That is such an a, um, ingrained response, I think, mm -hmm. in, in white America. And it's it's not helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's right. not because it doesn't reflect anybody else's reality, um, and it leaves you blind to things that uh, everybody has blind spots. And this could be one of yours. You have in any area, right? You should be open to fellow Christians saying, "Hey, I think I see this as a blind spot." And do, do you do you think that that? Is it, is it that white evangelicals don't actually see or believe that racism is sin, or is it just that they don't believe that what they're participating in is racism? Oh, I think every—if you asked, you know, any American, is racism a sin? Yes, of course it is. And the liberals are the racists. You know, that right, that's right. the conversation you get into. Not it's not a sin, yeah. but you're you're not thinking about it right and you don't understand what it actually is. And even bringing up, you know, these issues now is racist because we shouldn't even be thinking this way. That's the kind of reaction that you get. So it's not well, that, that people don't understand right. that it's sin. It's that they refuse to believe it applies to them. And because it's such a uh, a weapon these days. You can understand why nobody wants to admit that they're racist. Right. Or that even that they're participating in white identity because that is, you know, everything's a weapon these days, but that's one of the, the biggest ones. And so there's this self-protective sort of, no, 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 absolutely not. I am not that. Yeah. That's the reaction that you're going to get. And it's, you can call it white fragility or whatever you want, but it's... The human response of defensiveness when confronted with, uh, yeah, and and why this issue? Why why is it? Is this the issue? Christians of all people should recognize that the 
the effects of remaining sin are going to be with us in all areas. We have no. We recognize that even though we've been, uh, our sins have been atoned for, that there is still sin at work in our hearts. And yes, we we see it. We see when we stumble personally in areas that we thought we had victory over. Right. Why is this area one where they say, well, we just need to get past this. We don't need to talk about this anymore as if we're not going to be affected by the sin of racism. And it's the only sin we're not going to be affected by. (laughs) Right. Um, Because it's so obviously a sin and it's used as uh, a bludgeon a lot of times that people, they want to say, that this is this is something that um, if we keep bringing it up, if you keep picking at that scab, it's going to cause more problems. You have to let it heal. Again, the letting it heal thing makes sense if you think of this issue as being something that it was a cut that was opened and now it can just naturally heal itself, right. which is not the way that sin works. Um, and that your famous hacking agact pieces message, <laughs> right? Um, you don't kill sin by a pretending it didn't happen, b pretending that the effects of it aren't still in existence, right? You know, you actually have to. And there's a big argument whether um, because there's been statements put out by uh, the different uh, denominations and things like that that acknowledge that they participated in these sins. Um, the the moving for what do we do moving forward discussion needs to happen and it needs to happen in the context of we understand that there are lingering effects if you start with um we need to move forward as if it never happened yeah. the, the conversation is not going to go anywhere right. and you wouldn't approach any other sin that way right i mean the mortification of sin is the continual putting to death of sin Right. And, and we have to continue to put it to death. What does continuing to put it to death look like when it comes Individual, to Individually you know? and corporately. And right. those are, That's right. you know, even the folks who acknowledge that corporately we need to do something, it's very difficult for somebody to acknowledge that there's still some racism in their heart. Right. Like getting to that point is even tougher. So yeah, um, it was not... The way I ended it was... Because these, these, again, if you've listened all the way to this point, thank you. It's a difficult conversation to have. Um, and there's a, it's talked about a lot in politics. And so then when you bring it into a church discussion, there can be people have thought about it a lot. A lot of times there can be a lot of disagreement and things like this. Um, one thing that we should agree on is that as believers, we should be pursuing the diversity right. that we has been purchased for us, that the Christ did tear down the wall of hostility. Mm. That happened. Right. And we should be living in the good of that, and we should all be wanting to pursue that. And the picture that's painted in Revelation 7, you know, they cried loudly. That's just how I ended the message. Mm-hmm. We sing loudly together. Um, everybody should enjoy singing loudly um, with their fellow believers right. entering the gates with thanksgiving. The scripture is um, replete with encouragements to sing loudly and to mm. to cry out loudly to God. Um, and there's something, you know, you can, something unifying about that. And 
one thing that the that we can do as a church, as Redeemer Church, to make folks from other cultures feel welcome with us is to sing loudly. Right. And right. and so I think that that's, you know, I ended there. It's a unifying sort of thing. Um, and no matter where you land on some of these issues, the idea of every nation and tribe and tongue gathered together singing loudly to our Savior, to the mm, Lamb who sits right. upon the throne, that should pull at our hearts, and we should be willing to do what it takes to get there. Very good. Very good. Outstanding message, and I really, really do encourage all of you to go and uh, pick, pick up the app and go to the Facebook, whatever you need to do, and get that message. It really is uh, worth listening to. Thank you for listening. Um, this is a new thing we're doing called an outro. And I just want to thank you guys for listening and tell you where you can uh, get the pod. You can get it on iTunes. If you get it on iTunes, um, subscribe and give us good ratings because that is helpful to us. Unless you think that we're terrible and then don't rate us well. Um, but yeah, listen to it on iTunes. Um, I'm looking forward to the discussion in a couple weeks with Janelle and Cherie on autism and how we can care for those with autism in the church. Um, so that's that's coming up, but um, thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you next week. Fills the skies, your goodness fills my life. For all your precious gifts, receive my grace.